Welcome to the Back to Back Pod on the Athletic Podcast Network. This is Nerder She Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour, with Mo DeKeel and Seth Partnow. Are you ready to be entertained? Hey guys, coming up on this week's Nerder She Wrote, in Chicago we recorded some special team-specific looks at the Bucks, Suns, and Wizards with our athletic beat reporters from those teams, as well as special guest Howard Beck from Bleacher Report. Hello and welcome to a special Nerder She Wrote, Hear the Deer crossover episode. We got Seth Part now, we got Eric Name, we're live All-Star Weekend and Eric, we have got to just jump right in. Brooke Lopez is going to win Defensive Player of the Year. Chris Middleton is going to be All-NBA. Giannis is going to be the unanimous MVP. Bud has a good shot at being Coach of the Year. They're going to win 70 games. The, yeah. Are the, they going to win a championship? I mean, I, I think right now, uh, the, East, the Eastern Conference, I struggle to think of who's going to actually beat them. Like, I, obviously, I think... Everyone that has Jason Tatum's performance against the Clippers fresh in their mind, and now the Celtics might look like they're the team. Uh, at the start of the season, the Sixers were definitely the team. At the trade deadline, the Heat were definitely the team. Uh, we just go through, essentially, anytime anything happens in the Eastern Conference, it's not, how is this team affected? It's, can this team beat the Bucks? Because that's just how we end up talking about things, and it's easier to frame things up in that way. But I mean, to me, the the conversation continues to be like, no, I no one that that this team is good. They it appear to be even better, and they're getting better, but they're not being the Bucks. Like I, I just can't see in the Eastern Conference. Then you get into Lakers, Clippers, how the Bucks match up against those two teams. They've performed well against them thus far uh, this season. Those are probably closer to toss ups, but I think in the Eastern Conference, I struggle to see a team that is going to take them seven and then beat them in seven. This is, of course, slightly weird topic for me to get into, but just from sure. a, a, a general standpoint, uh, I'll, I'll slight exception with that in that when the season started, we kind of thought the Eastern Conference was going to be a two-team coronation. It was going to be, you know, some nice entertaining series between some of these other teams and then the, the, the Bucks and Sixers play in the conference finals for all the marbles, and that's what it is. I think that the fact that there are these, you know, the 76ers are still a playoff dangerous opponent, I think we have to say. I mean, look at the Christmas Day game for for evidence of why the and these other teams the you know the the Celtics the Heat the Raptors them being better doesn't mean that they would be favored to win a series but it's kind of like the more chances you have to for something to go wrong like all of a sudden in the, instead of that second round se- series being 90-10 it's 80-20 and you know just from a you know for the nerder side of this podcast from a you know a, a, a com- combined probability standpoint that makes a great deal of difference so it's not necessarily which of these teams is definitely going to but you're starting to stack probabilities of there being danger now when around earlier than there was and it doesn't have to be just the 76ers because we thought before that if someone beat philly before then it would be just like a walk and i don't think like yeah the bucks will be favored in a playoff series against all those teams but there's there's nobody who there's none of fourteen four other teams that will make the the conference finals that you say that's just a walk. I I understand it, but I watch these teams and like if you catch but them you on, don't believe in math. So, but if you catch them on a like right, uh, the, this is the non-nerder side. Um, but like I, I just, like when I watch these teams, like I don't see a, a consistency level that is necessary in the postseason. Like these teams are all like nice, but. You don't. You don't need consistency. You need four times. This is true. And yeah, so it, it yeah. happened last year. It, it did. 
I, yeah. I agree. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I do think the road has definitely gotten tougher for the Bucks, but I still struggle to see, like, I just don't see any of these teams in seven. But, again, teams can get hot. Fred yeah. Van Vliet can turn into Steph Curry I, for is, three is games. Is Fred Van like, Vliet, is he going to have another baby? That's the biggest <laughs> that's question. That's a great question. Right? No. Um, and, by the way, as it happens at okay. All-Star Weekend, oh, it is now okay. a party. Wait. Fred Van Vliet is, like, one of the five or ten. He's very good three-point shooter. Best open three-point shooters. So like, and he's treat, like, wide open. It, treating like like that's some like lightning striking event is yeah. this is this is like subtweet to not subtweet this is actual tweet to like Bucks fans like Fred Van Vliet getting hot for that's like something that happens yeah like, right. you know and and that combined with Danny Green not being able to throw the ball in the ocean he came out about even so like yeah and, and then Nikola down Mir- on and the, then Nikola Mirotic couldn't make a shot either like he's he's a good open shooter I believe fine. Okay. All right. Uh, Fred, Fred Katz is in the house. Can I just add something you guys are forgetting about this conversation? Like, what if the Wizards get the eight seeds? <laughs> Come great, on. It's a great point. Come on. Like, you guys are talking about Bucks and Sixers and Fred Van Vliet. Gary Payton the second. <laughs> a Bucks legend, uh, Gary Payton the second. Yeah. The Wizards are going to get the eight the lead here. Is, is basically what you're saying. I don't know. I don't is that a prediction? It's, it's, it's more of just a, a depressing commentary on the Eastern Conference. That they're two back in the last column of the eight seed right now. Uh, is it the worst offense in NBA history or the second worst? It's defense, it's, you mean? Defense, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, but but since they traded Isaiah Thomas, they've had played some bad opponents, and they have like a one hundred two defensive rating over their last four games. Yeah, and they've 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 uh, sustainable. They've slid, yeah, yeah, third best in the league. So <laughs> now they're now they're there. Uh, well, but they, I mean, with their offense, third best defense in the league. Now we got something. Yes, they've slid yeah. their number down. A dangerous so like eight seed now. Last year's Cavs of one sixteen eight, and I believe right now they're they're down. They've been like kind of tween, like slithering between like one sixteen and one sixteen seven, the whole year. They haven't gotten to one sixteen eight. They've gotten to one sixteen seven. Uh, they're at one fifteen three now. Bucks potentially could could run into a buzzsaw. In the first round. Chris Middleton could be dropping 51 every night. <laughs> I was just going to say, I would actually really enjoy that series. Wait, would they just sit Giannis if, if it was the Wizards? Uh, just, oh, let's I mean, rest he, the game. he played against the Pistons last year. Yeah. So uh, I think it. No, he would he would play. He would probably go about 20 minutes a night and it would be fine. That is the most disrespectful thing I've ever heard anybody say about a playoff team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the MVP would go his 20 minutes and you'd load manage him during playoff series and it would be. It'll be fine. It did happen last year. Yeah. Yeah. And why and why wouldn't you? Oh no. I'm just saying that that concept oh, oh, yes. is the most disrespectful thing you could ever say about a playoff team. Uh the Bucks are first in pace, correct? Yeah. And their defensive rank right now is one. They're one. Fred and I had this discussion last night about how difficult it is to have to play at a high pace and also play good defense. Somehow they're able to manage it while the Washington Wizards are not. What's the difference? I just think you look at that Bucks team and there's so much defensive talent that, you know, you go up and down the roster and there, there's just guys that can play. And Brooke Lopez is insanely underrated defensively where it's just the, the narrative on him was offense first guy doesn't really defend. You can't put him in a pick and roll. Like you can't do any of this stuff. Like he's just going to get played off the court. And it turns out he's, one of the best rim protectors in the league. And if you put them in a drop scheme and your guards work really hard, which the Bucks guards do, it all works out. And he's really good and he's really smart and he moves his feet really well. Uh, and 
they've just, I don't want to say stumbled onto something because this is very purposeful that this is how they're going to play Brooke Lopez. But you have Brooke Lopez doing that. You have Giannis as the free safety, which is just not fair that he can just roam and do literally whatever he wants defensively, whether that's play passing lanes, whether that's, you know, pressure on the ball, whether that's getting a block from the backside. He can do all of that. And then Eric Bledsoe, people don't touch him when they try to screen him. Like he just is able to avoid it. I wrote about last year. He's insanely good at not getting screened, getting over the top of stuff, top locking. Just he's great in those situations. Then you had a bunch of really good team defenders. Chris Middleton is a great team defender. Uh, Dante DiVincenzo is a great team defender. Wesley Matthews is a great team defender. You just keep stacking up guys that are really good defenders and you have the best defensive team in the league. Personnel matters. People talk about defense like it's like just effort. Right. Oh, Personnel is a thing. If not if on only, this show. Yeah, not on this show. If we only. actually debunked that where we went in depth on how effort is great, but if you don't have to necessary skill, but not sufficient. Yeah. Yeah. Effort's wonderful. Right. You're not going to be good at anything if you don't put in effort. Yeah. Uh, you also need to have talent, talent and long arms and athleticism, quickness, and a mind that allows That's you most to go part. into the right places. I mean, people people think of it as like, oh, he's trying hard to go into the right place. There are guys who I cover who try really hard. It's just like it doesn't matter how hard you try. If you don't know where to go, yeah, you don't know where to go. I think also like everyone you just named is like a great team defender as a right. vet. Yep. Like Troy Brown's 20 years old. I bet you Troy Brown, knowing his personality and knowing his intelligence, yeah. really smart dude, I bet you he becomes a good team defender down the sure. line. But he's 20 years old. He doesn't have that wealth of experience. Well, and this is him. the thing about the Bucks. What they've got is they have a bunch of – it's a veteran team. And so they do have, like, it's a bunch of adults that know how to play basketball. And that has inherent value. And then you add in, you have the best player in the league, like, at his peak. And, you know, you've got Chris Middleton, who, you know, he's, like, been, like, a top 12 player this year. And Brooke Lopez, who has been, you know, one of the five best defensive players in the league. I mean, that's that's a recipe for disaster for everybody else. Wait, Seth, Seth made a face. I, no, uh, Chris, Middleton Chris, awesome Middleton Chris Middleton has been Chris Middleton has been awesome this year. It's, been it's incredible. Like, this is this oh, is something that this is something that that has come up in debates sort of offline. Is if Chris Middleton is in the running for kind of an All NBA slot? I think so. Maybe. Man, that's a big call. I know. He's he's, you know? he's what fifty forty three. Yeah. What, what is he and in 90, the line now? Ninety. Yeah. yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. So yeah. he's he's fifty forty three. How many guys? I don't know. I mean, I guess Curry probably has gone fifty forty three yeah. ninety. How many yeah. guys in the league? Maybe Nash did it. I mean, it's got to be so... Brandon Clark is going to be close. He's going to yeah. be 50. Well, uh, he's going to be 60, 40, 60, 40 80. 80. Wow. Yeah. yeah. All, all NBA third team center, Brandon Clark. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. How, but, but how many guys with that? And, and he's been lately. I mean, and, and, and with volume. volume. And volume, too. Yeah. Yes. Like, over 20, 50, 40, 90, like, three guys in the history of the game have done it. Like, Well, the big knock on the Bucks is now out the window. The big knock was it's Giannis and a bunch of nobodies. And now it's Giannis and you've got Chris Middleton, who's, you know, this going to be an all-NBA guy, right? Like... It's just uh, the narratives are starting to disappear as we move through this season. And, and I mean, like last year, so the big narrative was, all right, so Giannis is having a great regular season, but, you know, what happens when he gets to the postseason? It was a stupid narrative, but when he got to the postseason, he was really good. Mm -hmm. Like he was really good again. And ultimately Kawhi outplayed him, and like that is a big part of why the Raptors advanced and the Bucks didn't. But – that one disappeared. Now it's okay. Is their number two good enough for, or what may, whatever you might want to say about Chris Middleton? Well, it turns out if you take out one guy that takes up a bunch of possessions offensively, Malcolm Brogdon, and say, Chris, you take all those. 
you're now officially number two. Because the big thing last year was Chris was great when Giannis wasn't on the floor. He's right. been great without Giannis on the floor for a long time. So he's been great in those situations. But when they shared the floor together and you put all the starters together, all of a sudden Chris was like fourth in usage. And now this year it's, hey, Chris, you're back in charge. Right. Like you're going to be – it's Giannis and then it's you. And now he's great in those situations. And that's where you're seeing like – all the volume numbers come up, all the scoring come up. It's because of the time he spends together with Giannis. Him without Giannis has never been a problem. Right. And that's kind of this strange thing where it's like, oh, well, he's not good enough. Well, actually, when he gets to be the main guy, like he's plenty good. Yeah. Now it's figuring out, with both of us on the floor, can we both be badasses? Well, what they ran into in that, in that Toronto series, they, this season they've kind of gone away from. With, they were a one-trick pony. Yeah. It was Giannis take the ball, dribble into this wall, and let's hope that we can get a pass out of it or you can finish at the basket. And now it's not its not that. I, I would guess Bud is really tired of me asking this question, but every time they do something unique or different offensively, whether that's Middleton post-ups, Middleton on the left wing, whether that's Brooke Lopez on the block, you know, whether it's finding a mismatch and posting up Giannis, like whatever it is, if they do a lot of it in a game, I ask them, hey, is this a part of offensive diversity and getting better this year? And if they don't do it, I ask, hey, why didn't you post up Brooke more? Like, this seems like something you guys could possibly do to be efficient because Brooke Lopez is one of the most efficient post scorers in the league. I got to say probably three, four times a week, he gets a question from me about offensive diversity. And to their credit, like they're working on it. I still don't know if they've gone like all the way to feel totally confident that if someone throws at boxes and elbows, like if, if you throw that normal defense that Giannis sees, that wall that Giannis sees, I don't know if they're quite ready for someone else to just take over, but they're more prepared than they were last year, and that is at least a step in the right direction. I want to I want to get your guys' take on this. I'm bringing this back to Chris Middleton. No one on the Bucks plays minutes, and Giannis is 30-31 a game, something like that. Yeah. Middleton is like 28-something, right? Correct. And, and I was looking through his quarter breakdown. This was like two weeks ago, so I guess maybe it's adjusted a little bit. But the common cliche that people go to is, well, they kill everybody so they don't play fourth quarters. Yeah. Not really the case with the way they rotate, guys. He's averaging basically the same minutes in the fourth quarter as he is in any other quarter. Right. How much do you think that should come into consideration when we talk about Chris Middleton is like in terms of postseason accolades and all NBA? Because he at some point, even if you're really good and he is physically capable of playing more, he's just the not. counting stats. He's just he's just not like if you're if you're giving really good production and someone else is giving equally really good production, but that other person is giving really good production in five more minutes a night, well, that other person is technically adding more on the aggregate to their team throughout the year, and I know it's difficult to simplify to that degree, and it's not within Chris Middleton's control that he's playing 28, 29 minutes every night. Uh, you're uh, making an argument for innings eating, though, right? Like that, yeah, that yeah. Like but, you would give a Cy Young to a guy. No, 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 I'm not making the argument okay. for innings eating. I'm not saying that the guy who throws 240 innings with the 3.5 ERA okay. is better than the guy who throws 200 with the 2.8. Okay. I'm saying the guy who throws 240 innings with the with the 2.8 ERA is better than the guy who throws 200 with yes. the exact same okay. ERA. So I'm wondering if you're if you're on the fence, like like Seth, I want to know like wh- where do you where do you fall on this in terms no, of I, the, I think the that's, I think that's a really good question, and I think that's when you come down to like one of the top six forwards this year in, in the NBA and considering that like three of them are off the table already. You got Giannis, you got LeBron, you got Kawhi. Those are booked. Get out of there. 
depending on like what you call Ben Simmons, he ends up being a guard in these things. So he's probably that's probably still a spot open. But then, you know, there's there's some pretty steep competition for those last three spots. And then it, it kind of comes down to what do you value, you know, Middleton's efficiency versus you know the workload that that an Anthony Davis or a Jimmy Butler is is, is putting in. I think right those answer, are your six forwards. Yeah, by r- the way. right answer. Named them all. I think it's Middleton, Davis, Butler, LeBron, Kawhi, and Giannis. Well, then I mean the question is 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 who's doing more for their team? Like between Middleton and Bam. Like that's a you know I think that's a that's a legitimate question. Like can the Heat function without Bam? Probably not. Can can the but is can that a Bucks fair question to ask? Well, like, yeah, it's but not no. Chris's fault that he plays with Giannis. Well, but at the same time, like you, you somehow you shift some of that that usage to to George Hill, who's missed a shot sometime <laughs> this year. Like you know, it's, so you can't it's, prove that. I, there's there's no evidence. There's of, of no it. evidence of yeah. George Hill missed shot this season. Yeah. Um. So it's it's you know the it, on some level like you don't want to completely argue, you know. That arguing for replaceability would almost be like an argument against, you know, the Brooke Lopez defensive player of the year candidacy because Robin's been pretty good, too. Right. But they're twins. So and that, they that play actually with Giannis. Is, yeah. So I, I don't think it's it's a tough question to answer, but I think volume matters. Like, I do think doing it in in, you know, 33 minutes and more close games is significantly more impressive than than doing it at high efficiency in 28 minutes in, when you're up 15 the whole time. And, you know, on some level, yes, he gets credit for them being there, but it's... And he just, gets credit for them being up 15. Yeah, that's what I mean. Because he's really freaking yeah, good. Yeah. Does and, he, though? Yeah. I mean... W- will he actually get credit for them being up 15? I mean, he I was... Mean, should. My, 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 he was I can he was a, speak for myself. He's, a, he's a no-brainer all-star, and we're talking about him in consideration for all-NBA team. So, yes, I think, he, like, in the conversation for a, you know, a, a guy who is a who is a secondary scorer on a team playing 28 minutes a night, you know, let's not be, like, we can oh, we're hating by saying it's not a lock. But like, we can only speak for we. Yeah. Right. And now, the voters I, I, are going to not No, but he was, he was, he was a, he was a, like, last year's, like, is he going to get in or not? Like, he's a no-brainer all-star this year. So, right. it's like, he's, he's, he's getting his due. Well, know? and the narrative is, again, yeah. has switched. Right. Gian- Giannis has help now. And that was the big thing coming into the season is that that was the knock on the Bucks. Well, it's just Giannis and a bunch of so bozos. I, to, to, I would slightly take issue with something you said earlier about like he was I, – I, I don't think you're right when you say like he could always do this because he's doing things like – talk about volume. Like a big thing is his – uh, first of all, your 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 fa- like he's always had that your favorite thing the the too small on a, if he's posted up on a on a six three guy too small, yep. but his his willingness not just his ability because he's always been able to do it a little bit but his willingness to get the ball in the perimeter size a guy up and take a pull up three that is one of those things that has he was great at that last year but he didn't do it as much sure like that's that's what I mean it's like w- like when he decided to do it. It was kind of a multi-year process to get him. No, you don't want to dribble into that 18-footer. Shoot the three-pointer. It's better. You 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 make that shot too. And now that he's like, no, I can. I'll I'll take five of these a game. Like that's a that that is one of those things that just makes him better. Well, he has a shot profile of a star. Well, he like, is I mean, so ridiculous from mid-range this year. Right. I know this is gonna make Seth cringe, but he is. The math checks out, man. Yeah. What what is he from mid-range right now? Like mid-fifties? He's over fifty for sure. Yeah, he, he's. It is wild. I mean, we talk about. George Hill hasn't missed a shot, but I feel like Middleton, especially lately with this hot streak that he's on, when he's shooting 57% from three over his last however many games, and I just feel like every single time that he pulls up from 16, and there's a big difference between a 14-footer and a 20-footer. 
I'm squinting at Seth right now to see if if he's there's Seth that, loves there's, the mid range. There's some out. difference. Seth loves uh, the mid range, but he is he is otherworldly from that area. Like it's it's amazing. And I would say this year is like a best of both worlds kind of thing because Chris used to be that when people were talking about DeRozan and how good he was from the mid range. Chris was like slightly less volume, but just as good. And then last year, go ahead. No, he, the one thing like I've never been a big DeRozan guy, but the one thing DeRozan could do was. He's one of the few guys who would draw fouls in the mid-range. Right. And so, like, he took a bunch of what are bad shots, made him decently well, and was also getting fouled on five of them a game. So that 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 kind of does a pretty big job in terms of turning that, like, you know, okay, he, he's, you know, you, you get eight free throws off of mid-range shots. That's That bumps your efficiency uh, a great deal. So just on mid-range shots, Chris has always been right around DeRozan's percentages, fouls not included. Um, and last year... It dipped. Like, it disappeared because Bud was like, dude, you got to shoot threes. Like, we're, no, no, no more of this stuff that you like. Go shoot threes. We need you to shoot threes off the dribble. If you get a big man, that's what you're doing. We're not going to have you on the little guard. Like, you're not going to take those turnarounds. This is what you're going to do. And it turned into a fight, and they didn't like it. And Chris got benched on December 1st against the Knicks. Like, it was a spot where, he wasn't doing that anymore. And then slowly as the year went on, he kind of started to do some more of it. Like they kind of met in the middle. And this year it is fully like, all right, Chris, all that stuff you like, you get to do. But also all that stuff that I like, you're going to do that too. And now you have both those things and you have this this guy that's averaging 20 points a game and he's 50, 40, 90, and it's just ridiculous. Yeah. I, again, I, I think they're going to win the title. I just, as long as the offensive diversity is there, I think they're going to win. All right. Let's Brooke Lopez. I know Seth wants to talk about him because he talks my ear off about Brooke Lopez and how good he is defensively all the time. So Seth, the floor is yours. Like, tell me why you think he doesn't actually tell me the thing that he does that you don't think people realize. I think obviously that, that you talk about him playing in a drop scheme and being very effective. I think he's also better at moving his feet than he's than he's given credit for also like yes he prefers to drop but he still has mobility in that drop scheme that allows him to contest shots that allow that allows him to come for backside blocks that allows him to pick up guards so he's not just this you know a lot of big guys they play a drop scheme and it's basically moving a traffic cone you know moving a traffic cone like back six feet and still giving a guy a corner turn he's just got to go around a little deeper in the floor like like brooke can still like move and and contest and get back to shooters and he's and his mobility has improved to the point where he is he's not like you know going verticality on guys he's giving guys space letting them make a decision with the ball and then contesting and so what ends up happening there is he's not you know you see a lot of these you know the the classic examples whole Hassan Whiteside selling out for a block giving up an easy dunk dump off for a lay-in Brooks not doing that because he's giving giving you space and then as you come to him then you make a decision okay now I'm gonna go get that and he's he's just he's become spectacular at, at, at doing that and then you know he's He's never. He's he's a classic example. Both Lopez brothers. Are, he doesn't get grab a lot of rebounds, but you're not getting one. Right. Like he's a team rebounder. He, yeah. Like you know, Giannis is averaging whatever he's averaging in rebounding, and it's it's sort of because he's got you know this this pulling guard, you know, <laughs> clearing out the lane for him to swoop in and 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 away we go. Okay, I know you got to go, so uh, we'll wrap up there. But uh, yeah, little crossover episode. Hear the deer and nurture road. 
Thanks. The Nerders She Wrote All-Star Party continues. Still got Seth here. Gina Mizell, the athletic beat reporter for the Phoenix Suns. Let's talk about DeAndre Ayton a little mm-hmm. bit because, uh, I mean, clearly kind of a fascinating second year with Absolutely. this big suspension. Yeah. Um, but he's been good. Mm-hmm. He's been uh, mm-hmm. There are a lot of improvements defensively, mm-hmm. which was the big knock on him coming in. What What's happening there? Like, what is the coaching staff saying about DeAndre? Yeah, I think they're very encouraged. And, and weird is, is the great way to describe what his season has been because obviously he plays in the first game, then the suspension comes down, misses the next 25, and then missed another like five or six games. He literally sprained his ankle in his first game back. And so he, he missed 30 games is essentially what, what, he, what it ended up being. And so... Um, it's just he's now to the point where he's basically played in as many games as he missed. So we're not even halfway through a season two for him. And so, yeah, a lot of those things that you mentioned, whether it's just the defensive awareness is is getting better. He still has those lapses that I'm sure drive people crazy, but his ability to distract shots. And he's always been able to to guard on the perimeter a little bit just because of his athleticism. But um, I think consistency is just what is really kind of – I'm very fascinated to watch what he does in these last 27 games because you see it in spurts. Even in the same game, he'll have like a great five-minute stretch or he'll start the first quarter really strong, and then when he gets subbed out and comes back in, maybe he's not as aggressive. And so I think that's going to be just a big thing for him is just that consistency and being able to to produce and have that constant aggressiveness and awareness and buy-in to everything. That'll be really crucial for this team, yeah. What about him offensively? Mm-hmm. Um, what is how is his game progressing? You know, it's a, <laughs> yeah. again, it's it's sort of uh, you know he got picked first overall right. when um, there were a lot of people who thought there was a different option that oh, was. Oh yeah, more, I don't know, obvious. I don't know who you're referring yeah, to. Yeah, well, but but uh, it's sort of a a, a a player more like obviously Luca. Yeah. Like more reflects sort of the way the game is going and and sure taking a, a taking a more traditional big game. I mean, mm-hmm. he's got some face up skills, but yeah. he's not. He's, right. he's not he's not being groomed as a stretch five. By no, any, by not any at means. all. He has taken so, one three pointer this season and it was like in a desperation end of quarter type situation. He's got so. a good stroke, though. He yeah, can, he I, I can think shoot he, he, he will eventually implement that. I mean, you see him after practice and before games and stuff. He's he's going around the entire arc just like everybody else is. And so I think it's just establishing that confidence. Again, I think if he had played the whole season he probably would be sort right. of starting to implement well i still think if now. he was playing for for like if he was playing in toronto or if he was playing in milwaukee right uh, a team that emphasizes sure. all their big shooting threes i yeah. think he would be shooting threes yeah i He'll don't necessarily there. now i don't know because i'm not there but mm-hmm. i feel like that coaching staff probably doesn't want him shooting threes yeah i right mean now. i think i think eventually they want him to start implementing that but it's not going to be like your your major elements of your game and so kind of go back to your first question seth is is uh monty williams sort of drew a line in the sand maybe about two weeks ago where when when ayton came back he's still like his kind of his go-to move is that like turnaround fadeaway jumper like you could just tell that that's his like natural muscle memory and and monty drew a line in the sand and was like i need you to be 80 percent beast 80 percent you know trying to be strong go to the rim um, back your guy down be strong in the post Get fouled y- yes go to the free throw line every great now free and throw then. shooter um and, and then 20 percent like don't don't take your jumper away obviously but don't have that be your default 
move just when you get the ball uh, in the post or just outside the post. So I think that's still a work in progress. But um, that was kind of the first time that I had heard Monty sort of, again, be that demonstrative. And he wasn't like angry about it. He was just like, this is what I told him. This was my message to him. So I think that's something that's really just trying to get in his head. And, and I think, again, that's going to be something that develops over time. I mean, we're just talking about uh, previously some guys who are still young. I mean, he's 21 years old. He's in his second year. He's he's not going to be this finished, polished product yet. And I do think that some fans, whether it's Suns fans or just league-wide fans, they look at Luka and look at this generational talent and they said, hey, why didn't this guy go number one? Why didn't this guy go number two? And and that sort of is, is a huge knock against Aiden. Kings fans just like fell on the floor crying. Right, exactly. Yeah. 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 What do you say? He went number two. No. I, yeah, <laughs> I know. I mean, but again, this he was there for the Suns. Yeah. Could have had anybody they yeah. wanted and they didn't take him. But just because Luca is this generational talent doesn't mean that DeAndre Aiden can't also have a terrific career. Right. So that's it's it's a very weird tough expectation for him to try to I've said this a lot I I think that the Aiden pick over Luca is defensible okay the Bagley pick is not yeah the Aiden pick I get because he he fits the profile of a Mm -hmm. generational big Mm -hmm. like he really does I mean Mm -hmm. he's skilled he's a, a crazy athlete like I get it yeah I can wrap my head around that idea I and would have gone the other way, I, but but I like no, I agree right. with you yeah. that like yeah, you, I would have chosen, the way you yeah. phrase that I think yeah. is correct. Yeah, yeah. Yes. But, but so I can understand because if if let's say Luca doesn't pan out, and you know five years from now it's like wow DeAndre Ayton is like a top five, he's like Joel Embiid. Yeah, you know, calm oh, down, calm down. You know, you get what I mean. Uh, <laughs> right. So it's I can completely understand. It's not necessarily like it was a one A one B thing, but Ayton fits a certain profile. Yeah. The Bagley pick, and I think Bagley's going to be a fine player, high motor, uh, yeah. is going to put up stats, but the Bagley pick, I can't, I just cannot wrap my head around. And just when you look at the rest of that lottery, too, I mean, think of all the talent. You go down the line from, you know, Trey and even, like, Michael Porter and SGA and, like... Jaron Jackson. Yeah, Jaron Jackson. Jackson. Hello. The, the, I mean, the wor- like, the, the worst player out of that top five was picked second. Currently, currently, yeah, but yeah, maybe but, I mean, but like even but if no, it's, it's at, pretty blatant right if, now. If we're yeah. talking about that draft and we're you know like a talent that's being misused right now, we're in Chicago, so <laughs> let's everyone pour some out for the 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 the, the misuse of Wendell Carter. Wendell Carter, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's for a different podcast. Yeah, different once podcast, they get eliminated from the playoffs, yeah. we'll, we'll talk about the Bulls. But yeah, um, so Ricky Rubio mm-hmm. was the big offseason addition. Yes. And I said that I, w- I expected Aiton to get the Rubio bump because yeah. everyone plays big, uh, better with Rubio, but especially Biggs. Yes. Um, they didn't get a chance to really gel before mm-hmm. Aiton was suspended. How was that relationship progressing? Yeah, I think it's still a work in progress, and you see it even in, in the simple things. Like sometimes those lob plays are just like a tiny, tiny bit off. And granted, you can throw it to almost anywhere, and, and you think DA is going to be able to get it, but it just the timing is slightly off. But yeah, I think that was a huge reason why that was the guy that they, when he be, suddenly became available to be signed in free agency, they were like, this is a good fit as far as what he can do in the pick and roll and all of that. Um, and so, no, again, when I say I'm excited to see what DeAndre is able to do for the rest of the season, that's a big part of it too. So, you know, Ricky Rubio overall has been 
really good for this team just to finally have a competent point guard playing, which has not been the case uh, for for a lot of the past few years. But um, there, you know, his shot is still what it is, uh, especially from from three. Um, he there have been some times where he's looked a little worn down, and you think about that. You know, he's not as as young as he used to be, and also he had a really long run in FIBA with Spain, and and I think he's somebody who's really going to benefit from this All Star break as well. But um, overall, just from a floor general perspective, his ability to play make um, and his leadership too, I think has been really good. The guys respect him. And, and that's, you know, even though they play vastly different positions, DeAndre Ayton has mentioned Ricky a lot as far as somebody that he listens to and is paying attention to. So no, I think the impact has been, you know, overall exactly what the Suns would, would hope it had been. And I think we've talked about that early in the year. Like even though maybe after the, the, the hot start to the season, yeah. like the, the record isn't maybe what the more optimistic, dare I say delusional fans <laughs> thought, thought, it, thought it was going to be like you have to you if you for stepping back you have to say that this season has been like signs clear signs of progress yeah totally and just having you know the it's a sort of a hackneyed phrase but having you know with with uh, with Rubio with Aaron Baines mm-hmm. having some some adults in the room yes has really you know like they're play, even games they're losing they're playing real basketball and yeah that, I think yeah you'd agree that hasn't always been the case oh 100 percent yeah I mean even like this is only my second year on on the beat as far as you know watching this team up close every single day um, as, as a reporter not just as someone who you know followed the team and and I mean gosh there were so many games last year where it was over like seriously midway through the second quarter and and now even though they've lost a lot of close games it's like those games are going down to the wire and it's such a cliche but some so many of these young teams have to learn how to get over that hump and learn how to win the, when it gets tight and so I think that's been a really good step for this team and I think with with what Monty Williams is sort of um, the foundation he's laid the culture he's tried to create I think has been really good for this team and you know I thought before the season I said you know 30 to 35 wins would be a a big step forward as far as a sign of progress because shoot they only won 19 last year they've already won more games now than they did all of last season so um, we still they still have a great chance to reach that range it's been a more roundabout interesting road to get to that point but um, I still think that's a a reasonable goal or a reasonable uh, mark they could make And and that number is sort of that's only like representation of progress like really like like Devin Booker taking that step yeah sure Aiton making progress Mm -hmm. um finding out like really what what they have and like Mikhail Bridges Mm -hmm. Kelly Oubre yeah I want to talk about Mikhail Bridges yeah sure I think that's that that like for he's a fascinating player they for for who they want to become like he's someone who seems like at times gets a little lost in the shuffle of you know Ubre is kind of there and Cam Johnson was the mm-hmm. you know before he was hurt was the the pick this year yeah and it seems like but like this guy what about like this yeah this this octopus who, who you know is, <laughs> it's is a great way to describe yeah. him yeah oh uh, I you know I he was a player I was I was super intrigued by in mm-hmm. in, in that draft and then obviously mm-hmm. they, they they traded for him on mm-hmm. draft day which was interesting because you know his Mom worked for the team that traded him away. Yep. It's, it's yep. One of those weird things. You can read an oral history about that night on theathletic.com right now. <laughs> um, so just like, what have you seen from him and, and what, do, what are the, 
what is the team's expectations and and, mm-hmm. and kind of how has the season progressed for him? Right. Yeah. It's been a really interesting season for him because he started off not playing well at all. Um, his, or not playing much. Really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, he was like kind of he was in the rotation, but his minutes were a little inconsistent. Um, his shot he was really struggling with, which I thought was a little peculiar, peculiar just because he had worked so much on it this summer. I did a whole big piece about um, him and, you know, Phil Beckner and, and what the work that they did um, in Phoenix and and then kind of steadily you could kind of just see him finding his way as far as in this system and and again with all these new teammates and such and and now he's starting right now and and part of that is because of of Dario Saric is out with a sprained ankle and once he's healthy I'm really interested to see um, just kind of how they continue I I wouldn't actually anticipate that Mikhail will keep starting and and I mean he can be obviously a really flexible guy and I think initially Monty Williams liked that he could be that guy off the bench who could play in multiple different positions but he was starting to close games consistently and his ability to defend those octopus long arms like you mentioned and um, he's you know learned how to cut better and 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 he's he's stronger so he can finish at the rim better than he could last year and and really recently he's his three-point shot has come back and has been has been pretty consistent and uh, my colleague Bob Young recently wrote about just that he didn't realize that he had a hitch in his shot again and he had to kind of look at some video and and saw it and and made the adjustments and he's had a couple games where he's been really really good from three so no he's a fascinating guy I mean you know you think of kind of the 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 foundational pieces of this organization and you start with Booker and Aiton you can throw Kelly Oubre in there as well who's had a really nice season but then I think Mikhail is kind of the the wild card as far as if he can develop into a really good you know I don't even want to I think role players is too small for him like but something like that where you know what you're going to get from him consistently I think he's going to have a really nice nice career what do you I'm curious to get your take like just again as an outsider who doesn't see this team all the time what's what are all your Kelly Oubre takes because he's a polarizing guy I I think Kelly Oubre is a good player part of the reason why Mikhail Bridges is interesting is I also think that that Oubre is just from a kind of a team building standpoint Oubre is kind of one of those uh if there if there's a a criticism of how the the Suns have been constructed this year and whether it's you know Rubio Baines mm-hmm. trading out Josh Jackson mm-hmm. uh, Anthony Melton yeah. stuff like that it's yeah. it's kind of the asset management has been questionable not great and and yeah. so but so now that they've kind of in this depleted not depleted but less than it could be state like he seems like the 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 if one has an opportunity to add just another top end piece, whether it's or whether it's a, a you know, you, you mentioned Ricky's not getting any younger, maybe mm-hmm. kind of the more long term, maybe a more dynamic, better shooting option at point guard, sure. something like that. Like sure. Ubre seems like the 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 carrot there yeah. almost. Well, uh, I, I actually I think I mean, that's a great assessment. Yeah. Yes. I mean, he was on the block. Mm-hmm. They, they were shopping him yeah. at the deadline. Yeah. And and so that's part of why, like. If if Bridges develops, if 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 Cam Johnson can stay mm-hmm. healthy, and you know, you know, again, he's probably overdrafted where he was picked, but yes. at the same time, like it's he's, he's played well in the role that yeah, they've asked no, him to play. But at the same yeah. time, he's 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 a six eight great shooter, mm-hmm. and that's you know that doesn't suck. Mm-hmm. Just, um, but that like if the, like if those two guys are like solid, then that that sort of frees you up to sure. to to rebalance and positionally in, in yeah. a certain way, and so that's. Like I, and I don't want to view him as just that because he's an interesting player in his own right. Right. But for where the Suns are trying to go, I think that 
that's probably the best. That you think he's not a long-term piece for them? Just for where they are. Right. Like, you know, or it, or it, he would be the piece that would need to go if they were going to upgrade yeah. significantly. Gotcha. Just because, yeah. again, No, I think that's... And that's a tribute to him. Like, that's a testament to him, too. I mean, yeah. that just shows that he's an intriguing player that somebody would potentially want back in a, in a big trade or something like right. that. Well, his, def- his defense has, I mean, just in the last two years mm-hmm. has really improved. He plays his butt off. Yeah. Or he plays his ass off. I'll, I'll say that. We're not censored here, right? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. He, he, so we, I don't know. M- most swears. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We don't do a lot. He plays lot. his butt yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll give yeah, you a PG. Yeah. We'll, we'll use all of those and Mike can figure Does it out. Does that count as Mo appearing on this podcast, by the way? Me invoking his name? There you go. Yeah, we'll find out. We'll find out. But uh, yeah, so I mean, like when you have a guy like that, he clearly has value. But mm-hmm. but again, it's it's about, like you said, if you want to upgrade at that point guard spot, he's the most likely and, to get more power not even, forward not, too if you want to bring in an actual answer there. Yeah. yeah. Not, and not necessarily upgrade. Just again, like R- Rubio, I think is, is just un- sort of understood as being a, like the transitional yes. from right. Right. Yes. no point guard to let's find one, but yes. let's get one now, please. Someone that can stabilize yeah. and yeah. and be steady and all. Of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think. Um, and, and this again maybe goes against the the nerd part of of this podcast, but I think the one thing to keep in mind with How with Kelly too is that um, he has been really really big as far as in that locker room yeah. with the fan base. He started the whole Valley Boys mantra, which I don't know if that's extended outside of Phoenix, but it's a, like, there's merchandise. There's, like, it's the hashtag on their official Twitter account, all that stuff. And so to let go of a guy like that who has clearly been such a galvanizer, even when this team was terrible last season, um, that would be hard. But I think, again, at the same time, it... it I, you can see why he would be the piece that you're talking about, Seth, that is is able to maybe go. I, and so I just, yes, I agree. But also the, like, it's not, it's one of those, the, the culture piece is something mm-hmm. that we recognize is important. Sure. But it's, and, and I think we've like, really, we've talked about that in terms mm-hmm. of having like the adults in the room and mm-hmm. playing real basketball. Like, yes. I think, yes. I think people recognize that has been important for the Suns this year. Right. It's something that isn't super quantifiable and it's also mm-hmm. the kind of things that it's very easy for teams to kind of get high on their own supply in Absolutely. terms of like oh, our culture will blah 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 mm-hmm. mo talked about this on our, our pod last week in terms of like like teams start to think well our culture will fix everything and this is yeah and for, the organizational and for, <laughs> and for right and for most teams that's bs yeah like it's for most teams it's fine mm-hmm. and, and so but not but part of the reason it's fine is having valuable culture guys on the team and so right. if, if you know making it fine to good is part of what you can't discount that so sure. i don't i don't want to discount that no yeah. no i'm just saying that's that's like an interesting element that i couldn't really honestly i couldn't really say about anybody except for you know may, again maybe a devin booker just because of his status of, yeah. in this franchise but you don't think ricky's a good i, I feel like he is he's yeah. but he just doesn't a different way because yeah. he's so calm and he's so mature and he's so just he, he's experienced again. He's somebody that guys look to for advice. But what about DeAndre though? He because he he's a fun guy. He is. He yeah. yeah he's fun when um, no people. He, you can tell he's very well liked. He still I would say has some growing up to do, sure. which again is completely natural. He's twenty one years right. old. Um, but yeah, I think he could also grow into that that yeah. type of role. He as seems well. like he's gonna have guys that like like to play with him yeah i mean even if you like watch the rising stars game last night or whenever this yeah, on yeah. friday night whenever he, this is, was, is playing he was, he was mic'd up and yeah. you, he was like standing 
the whole time on the bench and he was cheering everybody on and, and he just he has that kind of um gregarious yeah you're drawn to his personality so i think he has the potential to be kind of a galvanizer it seems as like well. big guys sort of go one way or the other sure. like they, they'd be like very shy and mm-hmm. or because i mean obviously if you are if you are of a, of a certain size right. mm-hmm. like you stand out and either you want to shrink into the background or well i'm everyone's looking at me right. i might as well be the life of the party yeah. right i will say unlike it. unlike some bigs he doesn't fake it he has a natural charisma no he definitely does that's a great word i was looking for like what is the charisma yeah. is yeah, the yeah. word for sure i mean I, I, like if you if again i get back to aiden i understand the pick like yeah. that's why i think phoenix doesn't come up because the aiden pick at least makes more sense right in the bagley pick i mean i'm gonna get I'm hammering Bagley right now. I think I like Bagley. I like <laughs> Some, to watch something him. also a point on that too is that, and I didn't even really think of this when Monty Williams was hired last summer, but his experience with obviously working with Anthony Davis in New Orleans and also with LaMarcus Aldridge when he was an assistant in Portland and also hiring Mark Bryant, who was in Oklahoma City, worked with Stephen Adams, worked with DeMontis Sabonis, is right. kind of known as a, a big man expert in that regard. Um, they all understand that it takes a couple of years to develop. And so I think they're 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 exercising a ton of patience and there there's no like I think everyone was disappointed about the suspension because everyone believes he'd be further along if that hadn't happened. But also there is no um, sense of like, gosh, he's not doing what we thought he would do at this point. Right. There, there's a lot of um, exp- there, there's a lot of patience and there's a lot of um, encourage encouragement, I guess, from the coaching staff as yeah. well. Cool. Well, uh, Gina, thanks for hanging out. Absolutely. Happy to awesome. be in snowy, cold Chicago with you guys. Yeah, but no, watching, seriously, it's been really fun to be here. I'm, I'm glad watching to... people walk their dogs along oh, the river geez. here, and there is a, like a husky okay. and some little tiny dog. You need and the like husky a... seems like he doesn't want to mess with the snow, and the tiny dog is. There you go. Well, I was going to well. say we need like yeah. um, dog sledding. You know, yeah, that's what get, we need happening some... over here. So yeah. I, I have some. So huskies, their their paws are some are such a way that certain kinds of snow gets right in the pads. Yeah, oh. yeah. And so that's why when you see sled dogs, they actually put booties on them because okay. it's very painful. Right. The snow gets in there. Oh, yeah. That sounds ice. terrible, so actually. Is, uh, my my, my wife's my wife's family is actually big into into uh, uh, mushing. Okay. Oh, so there I, you go. I, uh, Can I go to Alaska and mush? With your wife's family, <laughs> we, we, that could probably be arranged. Uh, my, I'm in. Yeah, I want to do the Iditarod, uh, but my, my I, so my wife's bro. cousin's husband has run the Iditarod multiple times. That's why they call him Anchorage Man. Yeah, there's there's no there's no lies told here. All right, All Star Weekend party continues. Fred Katz is back. We're gonna back. do a little crossover episode of Wizards After Dark. Still got Seth Part now. Drinking coffee at the Starbucks right here was uh, Howard Beck from Bleacher Report. It's a latte. Oh. Oh. So, you know, it's uh, that, that's my afternoon jam. Oh, know, okay. Yeah. Coffee in the morning. I need a little pick-me-up in the afternoon. It's, it's, it's the lot. I got you. As long as you're not having a cappuccino after 11 a.m., we're good. I'm just going to take your word for it. Yeah, that's yeah. you advisable. don't do that. All right. Effort. You're saying I shouldn't have done that. Wait. Well, cappuccinos wait, why are not? pre-11 a.m. Have you, have you been to Italy? Is this like wearing white after Labor Day? Yeah, it's kind of like that. <laughs> you never order a cappuccino after 11. It's just not done. Is that like if you feed a gremlin after midnight? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That explains many exactly things, yeah. actually. want to start with, Howard, with your Ben Simmons for Bradley Beal trade that I just heard about two seconds ago. And let's, just, now, let's just alarm all the Wizards fans right yeah, off the bat. Yeah. Like, they haven't even had their yeah, No, no, Howard's yet. actually breaking that news. Yeah, yeah. Right Everyone <laughs> should know, <laughs> yeah. The even though they deadline, can't trade Beal. Yeah. Uh, or but, anyone since the but trade this summer, passed for. I, I've thought about this trade for about four minutes now. 
and it makes yeah. perfect sense just right off the top of your this head. This is why I like it. Yeah. See, this is it. This is I, I, I mentioned this uh, on, on my podcast a few days ago with Zach Lowe where I said, you know, I'm not a fake trade guy. I'm not a big who says no guy. I don't get into this one. It just feels like the stage is set for something like this. All these rumblings around the league where a lot of people around the league don't feel like Simmons and Embiid are, are long for a long-term partnership. Sure. Just does, you know, and, you know, the league, as I often say about the league grapevine, it's, um, it's very chatty and uh, it's very entertaining and sometimes right. Um, and I'm not saying that people are predicting this. They're just, if you ask around, there are a lot of basketball experts in this league, scouts, execs, who feel like this is not going to work long-term and if and when they flame out this spring, that's going to be the trigger point to say, okay, we have to reconsider what we're doing with this with this this foundation. Meanwhile, Bradley Beal signs that extension that took him off of the trade market. He would have been absolutely the star of January and early February, rumor-wise, even if he never got dealt. The trade or the extension took him off the trade market, removed uh, a lot of entertainment and talking points for for all of us. The debate shows got all that robbed from them. But I still think, with all due respect to the Wizards organization and to Bradley Beal's insistence over time that he is not one who is ever going to go this route, I just don't see how it's avoidable. He's 26 and in his prime and not for nothing, not exactly happy that he's not here right now at All-Star Weekend. Why? His stats are there. He's been an All-Star before. There's no reason for him to, oh, you're right. Your team's record is terrible. But not they're only terrible, two games out of the playoffs. That's true. But, but that's why he's not here, right? Can we agree? There, there are also no Magic and Net players here either. That's, that's a good point. I don't, I don't think it's a playoffs thing. I think it's a 20 and 33 thing. He's averaging the most points per game of any non-All-Star ever right now, which is crazy. And I wasn't necessarily on the Bradley Beal has to be an All-Star thing. I would have had him on my reserves. I think it's, I think reasonable instead of Tatum. I think, I think I would have had Bradley Beal over Trey Young. Same. Oh, well, I'm, I'm assuming the, I would have had Beal over Trey Young too, but I'm, I'm assuming the reserves are coming out after Trey Young's already voted in. Yes. I would have Beal over Trey Young also. I think it's reasonable, and you can make an intelligent argument not to, mostly because of what he's done on the defensive end this year, where like you can look at the film and see what he's done on defense, or you can look at the advanced numbers and see what he's done on defense, and they all kind of paint the same picture. That being said, it is kind of wild. I know it's basic. I know I'm on a basketball nerds show right now, but it is kind of wild to look at 29 points per game, even with the speed the game is played at today. And a pretty efficient 29 points per game because of how often he's getting to the line this year and just not see that dude make an all-star. He he was upset with not making an all-star. And I would just say this. Um, people can make whatever points they want to about his defense or efficiency or whatever else. It's not really the point. The point is, what does Bradley Beal feel? Does right. he deser- think he deserves to be here? And he does. And he's upset about not being here. And in addition to that... And this is the point I keep coming back to and why I can't let go of this, this idea is that when you look at where he is in his career, in the thick of his prime, and you look at where the Wizards are with a, a John Wall contract that is going to potentially handicap them for years to come, and no, no realistic expectation that we're going to see the old John Wall again. I, I don't think so. I would like to be wrong on this, as I always want to with regard to injuries, but it's an Achilles for a guy who's entire career and stardom has been because of his explosiveness. And so if your Bradley Beal isn't the realistic uh, assessment to, to look around and say, I don't know how or when we're going to be respectable, much less contenders again. 
and I can't afford to just burn any more years here. And if he reaches that conclusion, if, I'm not making these assumptions, I'm just saying this is a reasonable outline. If he reaches that conclusion and he finally says, you know what, I think I'd like to be elsewhere, I'm fairly certain that, the, that there was a conversation months ago with the Wizards where they said, let's do the extension, it's good for you, good for us, and by the way, if you ever want to go, we will obviously not hold you hostage here. I think that moment could come this summer, and if it does, and if the things had gone wrong in Philly also, I think then there's the outline of a really interesting deal. So the Simmons, all right, the, the Beal in Philadelphia part makes complete sense. Wow, he'd be great there. The Simmons with the I know. Wizards part <laughs> Wall, is the tricky part. Because Wall is still there. Because you got John Wall. Yeah. And so that's, uh, maybe you're having a three-teamer with, with another star added in, but I mean, I think the argument you make for that is that that Simmons on his own is more of a a almost a context creator uh, because of his his size and versatility and, you know, a, ability to create for others with the ball in a way that that Beal just be, as a more traditional kind of two guard score can't really be. I mean, that would be the argument you'd go down, is and that, uh, he's a better fit with Wall than Beal. No, I mean, I, I think, I think, as 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 Howard pointed out, you kind of have to take, like, getting a high level play from Wall post Achilles, and it's not just based on like his game was based on uh, on athleticism. It's the track record of, and and then Brooklyn's going to go through this next year also. The track record of guys coming back after an Achilles injuries, like at and and maintaining like a an all-star level of play is a list of one, essentially. It's Dominique Wilkins, and that's it. And it happened, uh, like, once. Like, I yeah. mean, eight all-star team, and then that was it. Yeah. So that uh, I think that worrying about the fit with Wall is, you know, again, gravy. And right. it's more like a player who, on his own, can, you know, both ends of the floor build something that you create, something you can build around, whereas right. Beal is, Beal is a, a plug-and-play scorer but how far does that get you? We just recorded with with Gina Mizell of the Suns, and again, how far did just having a, a plug and play two guard score? What did that do for the Suns? Not a ton, and then they maybe they, they added some more context around it and became more credible this year. So, so two thoughts on the wall problem. One is um, arguably Ben Simmons is not a point guard. I know Ben Simmons uh, would not want to hear that, but. There's a case to be made that he's more of a point forward or a ball handling or could be even a secondary playmaker, whatever. It's, it's possible they could play together, although they're two non-shooters, to say the least, in Ben Simmons' case, since he doesn't actually want to shoot. Um, so there's that. But there's, I've thought about it more from a value standpoint. If, you are, if you've reached the point where you have no choice and you have to trade Bradley Beal, the time has come. There are only a couple different ways to go. You can cite the recent precedent of Anthony Davis and Paul George and say, I want the sweetheart package of a bazillion picks and maybe a couple of young players because he's Bradley freaking Beal. He's re- I think he's really valuable in, in the marketplace, and especially given recent superstar trades. There's that model, or there's the get the established young already an all-star, of which there are not that many to come by, and none of them are probably available, but this one may be. So even if you think he's not the right fit, if that's on the table, if that's a possibility, because that's just where that that's the opportunity, then you do it. Yeah, it's the best asset. It's it's like you know the the sign and trade for D'Angelo Russell. 
It's well, you see, you you talk. I, I wasn't sure which team you were talking about when you're saying, okay, we have to make a move here because the the if you're saying it's it's come to that for Philadelphia, okay, we got to make a move here, and then it's come to that for Washington. So it's kind of like you kind of you kind of look both? at each other across the room, and yes. and everyone else has a dance partner, and okay, yes. I guess I guess we're going home together. And they're both and they're both thinking crap, I never wanted to be in this position, but if I have to do this, I better get the best damn package I can possibly get. And those are both pretty damn good packages to come back the other direction, right? Beal would fit well in Philly. Oh, oh yes. yeah, he'd be amazing. And, and there's he, that. He, he, he and Embiid would be really good. Like That would work. He's become a really good pick-and-roll player. He's really He's got a lot of patience in the pick-and-roll now, which he just didn't used to have. Like That was his big thing, where like, People think of John Wall as moving at one speed all the time, and it's because that one speed is just really, really fast. I, I've never thought that was true, but go on. No, that's that. Yeah. that well, this is what I'm getting yeah. at. People think of Wall as the one speed guy, and it's because he was really fast. Beal really was a one speed guy, where it was just kind of he had he had his 91 mile an hour fastball, and he was just always throwing the 91 mile an hour fastball. And now he has so much more patience. He's so much more prodding in the pick and roll running those he's so much better just finding chemistry with with big guys like he seems to have good chemistry with thomas bryant in the pick and roll good chemistry with bogner in the pick and roll when he runs them um it's it's just he's so much more intelligent in those moments and you can just see the way that he prods on them and man him him running that with a guy like Embiid would be really good i i'm sure Wizards fans listening to this right now are gonna be <laughs> ecstatic. They, oh my this. god, oh, you yeah, guys, they're gonna be so. I don't know if you guys spend your your eleven thirty or eleven to to twelve a.m. hours ever reading through Wizards Reddit, but my <laughs> god, whenever somebody mentions a hypothetical Beal trade, somebody posted on there, and all the comments are just somebody else is trying to trade Beal. Yeah, everybody's trying to trade Beal. They're all trying to get rid of Brad. But at least this time they're trying to get them something good, right? It's not trading Bradley Beal for, you know, the Lakers bag of peanuts and Kyle Kuzma. Yeah, I'll, I'll make I'll make a prediction on this. Okay. Let's say let's say that we live in a hypothetical world where we we can see into the future enough that we know that Beal at some point is going to either want to be traded or the Wizards are going to decide that we're going to trade you. We know that that is happening at some point. We just don't know when. I think if that were going to happen, I think it's more likely to happen at next year's deadline than this upcoming summer. I think both parties, at least every impression that I get, is that both parties are are pretty committed to wanting to see where it's at with Wall first. Uh, both he and the team really want to see, okay, you know what? Wall is back. Let's see how Wall is with with Davis Bertans because he's never played with a shooter like this before. Let's see if Rui makes a little bit more improvement because they they really believe in Rui there. Let's see what pick we get in the draft this year, get lucky in the lottery and end up with some really good pick. I mean, look at what happened in New Orleans. That can just change everything in terms of the future of a franchise. And I think there is there is enough commitment on both those sides right now to where I I I if I had to bet, if I knew it was happening and I had to bet it's either going to happen in February of 2021 or the summer of 2020, I would bet on February of 2021. A totally reasonable and maybe yeah. even likely scenario. Um, I do think, though, that, you know, when you were the player, 
you can't, it's, it's hard to know when the urgency thing kind of kicks in, when you start to feel antsy, when you start to really feel like, and it's nice to say, well, let's see what, what happens when Wall gets back and they've got some new players with, with Bertans and Hachimura. Okay, that's all fine. But one, uh, it takes a while for the young guys to, to get somewhere. So Rui or the draft pick to be selected in June, are you really waiting on those guys when you're Beal and in your prime? Is that the answer? And he has to know, because he's a smart guy, everything that we've all just been talking about, about Achilles and trying to come back from it. Like, I'm sure that he wants the best for John Wall, as, as we all would. But again, he has to be realistic. And he might have to sit back and say, all right, but listen, John Wall at 100% with Bradley Beal has been, what, a 47-win-ish team per year? Mm-hmm. Got to 49 once. But they Got didn't to have Davis Bertans. Yeah, if Davis Bertans is the difference between them being a mid-40 win team to suddenly a 50-plus win team, then, my gosh, we've really, really highly underestimated Davis we got to ask Davis, I think. That's the person you got to ask because he's the one who would know. <laughs> he, he, he would say bring him to, to 65. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so speaking of Davis, the Davis Bertans, uh, the fact that he didn't get traded at the deadline would uh, lead us to believe that, that they planned to match any offer this summer yes yes okay. that is a more than reasonable assumption how much of that is tied into Beal and and we're gonna try to make this work and make him happy versus we just really love Davis or want to protect an asset that right. we have acquired I I think it's a little bit of all of it I mean if they didn't believe Tommy Shepard's a pretty methodical guy even if you don't agree with some of his moves there's there is a logic and thought process behind each one that he's made, which you can see that an intelligent person is thinking through those things. He is a big Davis Bertans guy. Uh, Scott Brooks loves Bertans, and Beal and Wall have both talked about publicly many times. This is the best shooter that we're going to get to play with. That entire organization is is really excited, even even if Wall is. As long as Wall is is a competent facilitator when he comes back, and and they're optimistic about his rehab with the way that it's going, that organization is really excited to see how John Wall can play with Davis Bertans because he's never played with a shooter that good. And the thing with Wall is he is amazing at creating standstill threes for guys. I mean, he's gotten a lot of shooters paid, a lot of it based on his explosiveness, which I just don't know I, what's so again. Now. I again uh, to disagree with you again. It, it has it's been based as much on his vision as his, sure, as his explosiveness. Yeah. Like maybe maybe the angle would like to the blind the, the I mean, blind one hand baseball pass to the backside corner isn't as open if he's not if you're not worrying about him getting downhill 100 miles an hour. But nobody else can make that pass anyway. Like and, that, right. that 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 pass on a rope that goes two inches behind the defender's ear and hits a guy in the shooting pocket, which, you know, Wall was one of the very best in the league at, 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 at throwing. And as you said, has has turned guys into 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 seemingly great shooters. And now that he's working with a guy who is needs no help, like right. what, what like what do you uh, right. OK, but we're going to give you help anyway. So what does that look like? Right. Well, hey, you're you're talking to the guy who just did uh, John Wall basketball IQ week. At the right. athletic DC, like yeah. he's, he knows what he's what he's doing in that capacity. The the thing with him and Davis, which I find interesting, from an X's no standpoint, all the shooters that he's gotten paid. So like the Jared Dudleys, the Garrett Temples, the Trevor Ariza's, a lot of those guys are those are the Anthony Morrow type shooters, right? Those are the guys who are great spot up shooter, good good to great spot up shooters, but are standstill spot up shooters. 
they're not scurrying around screens and that kind of stuff. And Wall likes to play at his own pace. He wants the ball at the top of the key, and he's going to go when he wants to go. And one of the things that I saw when I was covering the Thunder, at the very beginning of when that season when they had Victor Oladipo, the very beginning of the season, they're trying to run Victor Oladipo off of pin downs at the elbow. And Russell Westbrook kept waving him off to go away because when Russ wants to hit the lane, Russ is going to hit the lane. And if Victor Oladipo's running around the pin down there, there is a defender guarding the screener, there is a defender guarding the guy running off the screen, and there are more people to prohibit Russ from getting into the lane. And I wonder if you're going to be running off Davis and that kind of stuff, how is that going to affect John getting to the middle and that sort of penetration? Because Davis is an unbelievable catch-and-shoot guy when you give him the opportunity to catch-and-shoot, but the way that he gets those catch-and-shoots is different. So, like, Wall, and I think he's very intellectually intellectually capable of doing this, but Wall is going to have to get him the ball in a different way than he did those other spot-up shooters, and I'm I'm really curious to see how what that's going to look like. On It's totally possible. It might look amazing, uh, but there's going to be some sort of a learning process. I mean, I think you're, it, it's the fact that, that Bertans can do that let's not lose sight of the fact that he's also like could you know, stand in the corner. Stand, just, well, no, he's not going to stand in the corner. I mean, he's, he, yeah. he's also, he can stand at 28 feet out and right. see how much space that creates. If like, oh, yeah. you know, and so what's he shooting uh, over 30 feet, over 30 feet. He's 14 for 20 this year. Yeah. So he can just shoot. <laughs> it's rid- right? it's so, ridiculous. Yeah. Like I, I think he's, he'll figure that out. 20, 27 plus feet of the guys. He's, he's taken like 110, 115 shots from 27 plus feet. He's the only guy with that many shots who's shooting over 40%. Yeah. He's like 42%. Does Davis translate to Dame? Yeah. yeah. uh, (laughs) Uh, So uh, something else we talked about with the Wizards at the trade deadline, and you mentioned this, so I I brought it up on the show, is that Tommy Shepard has figured out this really neat angle where he becomes the third team in a lot of these trades and winds up getting assets – where there are none he's literally just showing up as the guy who facilitates these these bigger trades Mm -hmm. uh have you talked to tommy about this at all yeah okay i have i spoke to him about it after the deadline this is is an angle he's he's doing on purpose yeah no it's very intentional um i've spoken to him about this kind of the, the strategy of it in which he's trying to trying to angle it because he he slid into the anthony davis trade and ended up getting mo wagner and Bonga and an unprotected 2022 second round pick. And all he gave up was $1.1 million in cash so that the Lakers could maintain their max cap room to make the run at Kawhi. Uh, he slid into the Bertans trade uh, because the Spurs wanted to clear out Bertans so they could sign Marcus Morris. Oops. Oops. And uh, actually, Marcus Morris has facilitated two of these trades because then when Marcus Morris got traded to the Clippers, they were like the Clippers wanted to duck the tax because that was going to bring them two ish million over the tax or something like that, and they said, "Hey, we can uh, we can give you Isaiah Thomas if and we'll just you can release him and we'll we'll take back Jerome Robinson." And Jerome Robinson, I don't know if Jerome Robinson is going to be good. He hasn't really been with the Clippers. Kind of a kind of a nice defender, isn't shooting well at all, but the Wizards like him and like. The whole point of this casting a wide net thing and getting stuff essentially for free is the acknowledgement that most of these guys don't work out. But every once in a while, you get a guy for free, and Mo Wagner becomes – like, 
I don't know how good Mo Wagner is going to be, but I feel very comfortable saying he's he's going to be a really good offensive big man and and a contributing rotation guy. Like he's Seth's laughing at me right now. No, you guys. I, 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 Dave knows that I was not a a huge proponent of of Mo Wagner either early in his career in the NBA or as a draft prospect. And so, but he's uh, been good. But he's been he's obviously been been. Like very good for the, for the Wizards. Yeah. And so, but but the, the the point being is like, all right, I don't I don't particularly like this player, right. but but we're taking it. You know, you you're, you're you're giving yourself lottery tickets essentially. Yeah. And like you know, Jerome Robinson, like you said, hasn't shown a ton so far. But he got he was what the fourteenth pick a year ago. Thirteenth, yeah. Thirteenth, yeah. Thirteenth pick, and and he's got some you know combo guard skills, and maybe give him an opportunity on a team that's not as veteran laden. Uh, as as the Clippers and maybe have something probably not because you know if the, based on what he's shown so far but like it's for free so why not right and you you add up enough things for free like you know it's, it's one of those sooner or later you're talking about real money kind of situations right and so I talked to Tommy about it and I asked him like what's the trick to making these sorts of trades like what's what is your process like and and he said what you end up having to do. I imagine I should have followed up with this because I, I wonder if this is the case. I bet you he's a very copious note taker because in order to organize all of this information, you have to organize it in a, in a way to be able to be able to process and find and recall this information very quickly. Because what, what he basically said to me was what you end up having to do is you're constantly calling teams and you ask them, okay, what are you trying to accomplish? And then you tell them, okay, here's what we're trying to accomplish. We can help you facilitate something if you need that. We just, you know, we want to take on your Jerome Robinsons. We want to take on your Mo Wagners and Isak Bangas and all of those. And then you find out, you hear this team is working on this thing. And 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 what he said to me was, well, you, you know how the game of dominoes works. You hear the Clippers are working on Marcus Morris and you say, Hey, wait, Marcus Morris, Mo Harkless, that's going to take them into the tax. They're going to want to get out of the tax. Let's see if we can come in here and we can be like, hey, we can take you out of the tax. Another thing that they do is Tommy Shepard, and it's not just Tommy Shepard, it's that front office. They are obsessed with trade exceptions. And I bring up trade exceptions all the time. And I have a buddy who makes fun of me and says that I talk about and write about trade exceptions too much. And nobody cares about trade exceptions. It is boring and it is weird and it is nerdy, but we're on a nerdy podcast. So I'm going to talk about it again. We're like, the Wizards value this, and that's how you get Davis Bertans because nobody has cap space in the NBA anymore. And when you do a weird thing, like you get a disabled player exception, slide a player into the disabled player exception so that you can turn it into a trade exception, which is a weird, nerdy cap thing I don't need to explain any further, and then you can acquire Davis Bertans because you have that. Right. That helps. Like, even in the Isaiah Thomas Jerome Robinson trade, they structured it in such a way so that it created another miniature trade exception, which they might be able to use within the next year again. So, like, they're, that that's another form. We talk about assets all the time, right? And I don't like referring to assets as players, but, like, draft picks and trade exceptions. Like, trade exceptions are assets, and so it's just kind of like you make your own luck in some of these situations too. You're putting you're, almost, more, you're putting more tools in the tool chest. Right. Yeah. And to to your point about about, you know, how how that's done. Uh, John Hollinger and I did a did a kind of a pre-deadline stuff. Where we're talking about sort of the process and and there's in in some cases it's more literal than others. A team has the board. And the board is like the trades you're kind of the ideas you're kicking around, the concepts of, you know, it, 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 most of them don't reach the the point of being a fully formed cap legal 
mechanically sound, blah, blah, blah. It's more like this guy for that guy and a second round pick. And then we'll fit the other pieces around it. And so uh, what you're talking about doing is with the, your constant search for information about what teams are, are doing is kind of not doing the matchmaking yourself, but kind of creating what you think other teams boards look like. And so then if you hear, I mean, the, the, like the, the Morris Harkless trade was, 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 you know, there to be made for months. And so that, that's, that's a fairly like easy example of something. Okay. Well, that's going to be on the board. What is this? What are the implications that let's get in on that, but you start to put together the deals that other teams are likely doing, and then you catch a whiff of it. And then you've, you've done the work of saying, okay, what does this team's roster and cap sheet look like after this trade we think might happen? What's their next move going to be? Is there anything we can do to make it easier for them? And so it's it's using that information to kind of work backwards from where you think teams are going to end up. And then, you know, how can I help? And not not like you, obviously like, hey, you guys got anything for free for me in this? It's like, how can I help? And so, oh, the Clipper, Clippers, you have a problem. You don't want to go into the tax wall just so happened to have a solution for you and then it's like you know as you get towards the deadline these things move fast and it's just like yes i could i could maybe look around and and find something that is maybe slightly less expensive way of doing that but that works let's do it and it it helps this too the wizards have one of the most creative cap guys in the league brett greenberg yeah yes yeah for sure very creative And, and i think another thing that helps too and uh i was talking to somebody else from another team about this and about this concept and this this person uh who works in the front office with another team mentioned to me that tommy shepherd is easy to negotiate with and that's kind of become his rep around the league and that sounds like such a simple thing and it, it sounds homery to hear the team's beat writer say oh the guy running the team that i'm covering is easier to negotiate with but that's kind of becoming his rep around the league and you guys know. I've like, never run into someone that has anything bad to say about Tommy. But that's not always the case also. Right. Like there there are GMs who be, who earn reputations of being the dude in your fantasy league who's just going to call you up and be like, eh, Davis Bertans for LeBron. How about that, guys? <laughs> and, and, and when you're in those situations. Who says no? <laughs> <laughs> when you're the Clippers. Yeah, you know, like Howard calls up and is like, hey, how about uh, Beal for Simmons, huh? And so <laughs> and so. <laughs> when you're in one of those situations, you're the Clippers, you're the Knicks, you're working out Marcus Morris for Harkless and the other stuff, you just want someone who's going to make the situation as easy as possible. You're working up against the deadline. It's late in the day. You're like, we got to figure out a way to duck the tax here. What can we do that's going to be easy, that's not going to have somebody else come in and they're going to be close to an agreement and then that guy's going to say, you know what, I want a second round pick too and blow up the deal. So it's going to be, it's, it's just, it makes things easy. Yeah. Uh, Howard, did you expect to talk about the Wizards this much at All-Star Weekend? Um, or this season? Period. Right. <laughs> uh, no. Okay. So so as we wrap, because we all got to get out of here, um, are the Wizards making the playoffs? Yes no. or no? no? No. No, I'm going no. I would think no, in part because they probably don't want to. What, yeah. What's the what's the point at this point? They'll they'll at some point you start to shut guys down, save them for next season, yeah. play the rookies, play the young guys as we all. Orlando talk about. would have mm. to completely fall apart, I think. Which which is also possible. Yeah, that is possible. They they also like they're not going to prioritize the playoffs over playing the young guys. They're just not going to. Yeah, I think and and Orlando is is more motivated. They want to make for you know for you know, kind of the rightly or wrongly, that is their internal motivation. And, yeah. And so I think that that's more likely, although it's it, sometimes it's funny how it works out that way. Maybe your, your 
playing a little free her and things happen. And if you're, oh, we got to make the playoffs and you squeeze tighter and it goes, you know, we've uh, definitely Memphis, seen that. Memphis, yeah. they, they didn't care if they made the playoffs. They didn't care if they were bad. And look at them. I mean, they might. They, they struck gold. Oh, I think they, I think they're going to make it. Uh, all right. Well, that's it for the special all-star weekend media hotel party edition of Nerder She Wrote. <laughs> Thank you. Absolutely. Howard. Appreciate no, it. My pleasure.